everybody, and welcome to another episode of NGI's Hub & Flow podcast. I'm Jamison Coughlin, editor of LNG Insight, which provides subscribers with North American LNG news and pricing, plus key European and Asian fundamentals. Natural Gas Intelligence is a news and price reporting agency. The aim of our podcast is to explore the issues that matter most to North American natural gas and beyond. Today, I'm joined by Alex Dewar, Senior Director of the Boston Consulting Group's Center for Energy Impact. Welcome, Alex. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much, Jameson, for having me. Great to uh, talk with you about this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And today we are going to be talking about what's a very hot topic right now in the global natural gas market, and that is green LNG and the efforts that are underway to decarbonize the space, what that's really going to take, and how you know U.S. LNG exporters in particular stack up in all of this. So Alex and the Boston Consulting Group have been doing a lot of work on decarbonization in the oil and gas sector, particularly as it relates to LNG. So I guess to kind of kick us off here, Alex, you know, I, I'm interested to hear right off the bat if all this talk about decarbonization, carbon neutral supplies, green LNG is real or or just a trend. I mean, is this the future of the export sector or something that's kind of fashionable to be promoting right now if uh, you're an LNG player? It's a great question, Jameson, because there is a lot of hype on climate right now, and it's hard to discern what is uh, short-term hype versus long-term trend. Uh, and I think in this case, though, we are looking at a number of long-term trends that are shaping the growth of interest in low-carbon or decarbonized LNG, and that those trends are, are not going away. So exactly what form it takes, I, I think it's very early days, and we will see uh, likely a lot of iterations going forward. But for us, what's more important is what are those underlying trends? What's driving this interest and how is that likely to be sustained or evolve going forward? And I would say there's a few elements really at play here. First is around the world, we are seeing a growth of climate commitments, of net zero commitments, and of policy that's coming into play that will drive decarbonization across value chains and across uh, products and commodities. In Europe, obviously, the, the introduction uh, of the carbon border adjustment mechanism has been a really significant evolution here. And while LNG is not immediately in the product mix that will see the application of a carbon tax deployed, it's part of that longer-term process. And I think the momentum is trending towards, ultimately, a policy estimating and valuing embedded emissions intensity in products like LNG. And, you know, especially as countries in, in Asia like China and Japan have made net zero commitments overall, you know, we expect policy to evolve to, to sort of value those, those emissions that are embedded in natural gas supply chains. Second factor is really corporate ESG and investor pressure. So based on that, you know, we're seeing companies taking a much harder look at their own emissions through their supply chains and upstream sort of source is uh, scope three emissions, right? Where you may have a utility or industrial buyer of natural gas of LNG assessing embedded emissions intensity. And regardless of policy, these pressures are coming into play and that's shaping the interest. And then third, I think there's an element here on the supplier side as well that's driving this. You have countries like Qatar that are market leaders and also in, in LNG globally and also have a relatively low emissions intensity of their products. And so for them, I think they see a competitive angle here. 
And, and so it's not just buyers demanding green LNG, right? I think it's suppliers starting to, to offer it. Qatar is a good example. And then also, of course, the major portfolio players uh, that are, you know, large European IOCs, Shell, Total, BP, you know, being committed on this as well. So I think those are the important factors at play and why, why we're not going to see it disappear anytime soon. Okay. So very, very clearly the real deal then, you know, with uh, these government announcements and, and private investments and, and the investor pressure, um, really all stuff that we've kind of seen intensify here uh, in the last year or so. So that all makes uh, perfect sense. So you've got You've got carbon neutral cargoes that are being offered. Supply deals are being inked uh, that require, you know, LNG producers to track emissions along the value chain. And, and we're hearing a lot more uh, about plans for carbon capture at um, export terminals too. So, I guess my next question to you would be, how, how difficult is it to, to actually do these sorts of things, you know, in the real world? Tra- track emissions across the upstream, midstream, and downstream provide cleaner cargoes, and can we expect meaningful results from, from some of the efforts that are, that are underway right now? Yeah, so we're, we're working with a few clients on this, and, and I would say every country, every asset is a little bit different. Some are easier than others. <laughs> I think what, what you're looking for uh, from, from a sort of ease of use or, or implementation perspective is really relatively short value chains. You know, if you have upstream natural gas production that is closely integrated with liquefaction, uh, then it's it's relatively relatively straightforward, right, to, to be able to do this. And, you know, companies are largely already tracking and measuring emissions today and have the capabilities to do it. It's really just about tying the data together in the right way. Where it gets a lot more complicated is, frankly, in the U.S. environment, where you have a value chain that is quite fragmented and you have different players at different steps of that value chain. You know, you may be sourcing natural gas upstream from a range of different producers in the U.S., even in different geographies, sending it through a range of different pipeline infrastructure, you know, and then even if you're, you have one liquefaction plant that you're, you're looking at, right, providing an integrated view of that upstream emissions intensity through the value chain can become much more complex because the data is not in your own hands. It's not all within your own control. And so it really requires setting up partnerships and vendor type arrangements to work with your suppliers and your partners across the value chain to be able to do it. So I think that's that's where in the U.S. Uh, operators have a little bit more of a challenge to do it, but it's not impossible. And I think the, the hardest part is doing it the first time and setting it up. And once those types of relationships are in place, the data flow is there, you know, then it becomes something that is, is, is relatively easy to replicate and sustain. Okay. So then it sounds like this is something that depends on, you know, where you're at in the value chain and, and, and even where you're at in the world. Is that is that a correct kind of assessment there? A- absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, really, what are key drivers of emissions? You know, what we see is, is methane emissions really accounts for the greatest variability across sources of LNG, of, of their emissions intensity. And for markets that, that do have more of a challenge with, with methane emissions, uh, like the, the U.S., right, and, and accounting for that, it becomes a more challenging prospect to do. Not impossible, but but just more challenging. But also really critical to measure that and, and to provide some sort of validation on methane emissions intensity. Because what we know in the U.S. is, yes, there are some producers that have you know very high methane emissions intensity, but there are other producers that have incredibly low methane emissions intensity, operate at the best global standards. And so having the data and the ability thus to, to prove that, to demonstrate 
that you're sourcing low emissions intensity, methane emissions intensity, natural gas uh, becomes very critical. Okay. Okay. This is a this is a good point to talk a little bit more about the United States actually and what's going on with all this here. You know, you you recently wrote that, you know, the Boston Consulting Group thinks all this scrutiny facing LNG and the desire for a, a cleaner product as the energy transition kind of accelerates is actually an opportunity for US exporters. I, I think you said it was it was something like a, a new frontier for US LNG exporters to bring additional capacity to the market. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, exactly. So on the one hand, you know, you can look at things like methane emissions from the U.S. and say there's a real, you know, real challenge here. But, you know, on the other hand, as we've seen with some operators here, it is actually relatively easy in some cases to produce natural gas and supply natural gas to an LNG liquefaction plant at relatively low emissions intensity, both methane emissions and CO2 effectively embedded within upstream operations and midstream operations. And I think, you know, for for U.S. exporters, this can be a key source of differentiation going forward. So specifically developing a supply chain around low emissions intensity natural gas. So working with upstream producers that are rigorous in not only mitigating, minimizing methane emissions, but documenting and validating it, you know, using a data-driven approach and sort of shortening supply chains, you know, you can achieve very low methane emissions intensity as, as we found. And, and so this is where, uh, you know, companies uh, or, or projects that have been proposed have started to provide that differentiation. ANOVA, unfortunately, you know, we saw just, just in the last couple of weeks, they, they've sort of paused that project indefinitely because of oversupply conditions globally in LNG. But I think that was a really, you know, it, it could be a really innovative project in how they've approached decarbonization through the entire value chain. You know, similar in Next Decade, announcing recently the intent to do carbon capture in their own operations, as well as sourcing low emissions intensity gas is, is another good example there, you know, of how some of these greenfield projects can push the envelope in it. So in, in a way, I think it's it's the, you know, intense competitive pressure that U.S. LNG producers are feeling, these, especially for the next wave of, of projects, which of course is a real challenge. But I think that can produce potentially some innovation here. And we're already seeing signs of that, of producers finding new ways to minimize their emissions intensity and to validate low levels of emissions intensity, um, um, you know, to their to the, their buyers overseas. Okay, so as you as you do these sorts of things, you know, you, you look farther upstream, you know, to producers who can who can help, you know, cut emissions, and you know, as you um, maybe you you install more carbon capture technology at some of these newer plants, as you do all this stuff to to try to cut emissions a little bit more. Does that increase the cost of of, of U.S. LNG or, or exports in general? I don't know if that's something you can speak to. Yeah, it, of course. You know, cost is is certainly an element here, and for every operator, you know, you need to balance the cost and the benefit on this. And in the current policy environment, not every mitigation measure will be in the money. What we found, though, is to achieve. Uh, sort of the top half performance of emissions intensity on a dollar, you know, on, on, on a kind of grams of CO2 per MMBTU basis, that most U.S. producers can probably do that at, at relatively low cost. You know, effectively minimizing methane emissions can cost, you know, next to zero, a small investment really in the measurement and validation of methane emissions intensity. Uh, and then, you know, you can really look to some measures like 
electrification of LNG uh, operations, or if it's a retrofit, you know, carbon capture on uh, process-oriented emissions, uh, things like that, taking sort of the low-cost options, not necessarily going to full decarbonization, right, but taking uh, a number of steps that can lead you to a top half uh, or top quartile type performance globally in the market. And that that can be done at relatively low cost. We think, you know, really less than, and in many cases, less than $50 per ton, uh, which is a value most companies, many companies now already have, is a internal carbon price and, and would align with policy as it starts to come in place to value embedded emissions intensity. So in effect, those investments would be in the money when you think about how emissions is, are, are valued by buyers going forward. Okay. Okay. And maybe this is kind of a dicey question, but, you know, clearly it, it's become evident that buyers, you know, are, are getting more and more interested in a, in a cleaner LNG product. I mean, in your mind, when you think about this stuff, when you look into this stuff, is there any, you know, exporting company or any exporting nation out in the world right now that's really ahead of the curve on all these decarbonization initiatives? Or is it still kind of a level playing field? Yeah, it's really early days. I think Qatar comes from a, a strong starting position, you know, in part because they have such a, a small, simplified value chain for producing uh, natural gas and then liquefaction. Um, in part, that's what makes them the lowest cost provider globally, right? So, so I think, you know, in our estimate, they're likely the lowest emissions intensity producer today. And you see that they're really pushing on that, right? They were the first to sign a deal with Pavilion in Singapore to provide documentation of their emissions intensity through the value chain so far. So yeah, I think, I think they're, you know, in, in a, a good starting position. But, you know, what we've seen so far from the U.S., you know, Chenier taking the step recently to be able to validate their emissions intensity on cargo starting next year. I think that's a really important step. And this is where, again, the the kind of the competitive intensity that the U.S. producers face has, has prompted extensive innovation in the past. You know, the types of commercial deals that have come out from U.S. LNG producers have been game-changing for the industry overall. And I think here in this situation as well, U.S. producers often thrive when there needs to be new innovation, uh, a new competitive challenge in the market. That prompts the new types of approaches and thinking, right, that, that Chenier is, is now approaching. And for us, we think all LNG producers from the U.S. can, can take those types of steps. And, and not only, you know, documenting, but, but further showing improvements and, and relative performance on emissions going forward. Okay. And that kind of actually, you kind of anticipated my last question there. I was going to ask, do you think that the, the U.S. LNG export sector is, is acting quickly enough to, to jump on all this stuff? And it sounds like you do, in fact, think that. I mean, the Chenier announcement was a big deal. Um, you know, you've got a facility in Louisiana that's planned for net zero emissions. Like next decade has announced some plans for carbon capture. So, you know, are these guys moving in the in the right direction now, do you think? I think they are. Uh, the pace of announcements has been you know, very rapid here. And, uh, you know, not just intent, right, but real verifiable sort of targets, uh, milestones that need to be met and investment backing it up. I think seeing next decade uh, secure investment from the, the oil and gas climate initiative to pursue CCUS is, is a real material step there. You know, look, the, the U.S. LNG sector is, is, at least for greenfield expansions, right, is, is facing a very challenging dynamic right now, given the sustained oversupply situation that we're seeing in LNG. But this is a new angle, you know, a way to differentiate and innovate here. Uh, and, and I think what we're seeing so far is, is quite promising on that. 
Okay. All right. Well, fair enough. Um, I think that's it for today. Hey, thanks again for joining us, Alex. Uh, we really appreciated having you for uh, this episode. Thank you, Jamison. Great to talk with you uh, on this topic in particular. Yeah. And thanks to all of you for listening to NGI's Hub and Flow podcast. Uh, natural Gas Intelligence is a price reporting agency that focuses on natural gas and LNG news, data, and price indexes for the North American markets. We believe that price transparency empowers businesses, economies, and communities. And this podcast is part of our effort to add to that transparency. If you have more interest in the global gas trade, please visit our website at natgasintel.com and check out our LNG Insight publication. Until next time, stay safe and healthy.